Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. It is one of the more successful Olympics that we just wrapped up in Pyeongchang, South Korea, this past weekend. And I think that this is important because oftentimes we're bombarded with stories about, oh, the worst Olympics ever, this was terrible, or uh, Rio was particularly bad. You had uh, people getting uh, mugged, you had uh, pools that were turning into weird colors, you had, uh, was norovirus in the Rio Olympics? No, Zika was the Rio Olympics. I think there was one other one, there was like a norovirus outbreak or something like that. Uh, Pyeongchang seemed to have pretty much nothing like that. We had no negative stories that I came across, certainly none that, that took over attention of the Olympics. And with Canada coming back with such a significant haul of medals and Canada being in a, a pretty prideful, patriotic and triumphant way, the big question that emerges now is what impact, if any, will this have on the always lingering and always simmering ideas that Canadians have? especially in Toronto and Calgary, that the Olympics are in our destiny, especially in Calgary, where councillors are, are mulling whether to vie for the 2026 Winter Games. And Nahed Nenshi said that evidence should trump emotion and that warm and fuzzy feeling in this process. I want to talk a little bit about this and, and the economics of sport and the economics of the Olympics in particular. Joining me on the line is a sports economist from Concordia University, Professor Moshe Lander. Professor, thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you. My pleasure. So one of the things that I, I looked at in the uh, the Calgary Bid Exploration Committee's findings here is that the cost of holding the Games, $4.6 billion, revenues about half of that, and that's, of course, uh, including the presumption that there's no overrun. Is the Olympics always going to be a loss? Probably. It's very difficult to make a profit. Uh, the, the one that I'm familiar with that made money was the 84 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, where they marketed everything they could possibly get their hands on. In general, though, once you start factoring in all of the infrastructure projects, the building, the construction, the temporary facilities for athletes and media, and it's never going to pay itself back. So you're always going to have to get some sort of government handout. Yeah, and you're right to point out the temporary nature of a lot of these things, because we've seen it in Pyeongchang even some stuff that's going to be coming down very quickly right after the Paralympic Games. A lot of this is not this this legacy stuff that, oh, well, at least we'll have it afterwards. A lot of it is built for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's that two weeks that the Olympics is on. That's exactly it. And, and the IOC in their Agenda 2020, and one of the things that they said when they were in Calgary last month, was that a lot of the existing infrastructure in Calgary can be reutilized. Don't splash out on big, shiny new stuff because they recognize that the Olympics don't make money and they want to try and encourage bidding by multiple cities uh, and ideally in democratic countries. And so they're saying that if this is going to upset your taxpayers, try and do it in the most cost-efficient way. Still not enough, but it's an improvement. 
It's interesting that the IOC has taken that position because you'd think the IOC would just want it to be about as much money they could throw at it, but it sounds like they're trying to open up the process a little bit, which makes me wonder if they're concerned that countries or cities are going to get to the point where they think this just isn't worth it. It's not that they're going to get to the point. It's that they have gotten to the point. that point. Cities aren't bidding anymore. So uh, the cities that are bidding or the countries that are bidding are generally countries that maybe shouldn't be bidding. So you mentioned Rio. Rio is a democratic country, but it's certainly not a country that should have taken on hosting uh, the summer games of that size with that amount of public expenditure. The next winter games are going to be in Beijing. Beijing, by the way, has an average winter temperature plus 5 Celsius, but that's a, that's a political move that they're trying to get the games, and they don't care if they stomp over the taxpayer. The Sochi games were the, the last winter ones that had massive costs involved in it. And so the IOC is desperately afraid that who's going to bid on these games if that's what they have to kind of compete against? Remember, you mentioned the, the best games ever. When Calgary hosted, remember how excited everybody was when Juan Antonio Samaranch came out and said, the best? games ever <laughs> yeah you know that that's what every city wants and so they're gonna they're gonna try and compete with each other to outdo each other you can bet that beijing is going to want to outdo its neighbor in south korea to show them this is how you really put on a winter games and that's going to scare off bidders so the ioc is trying to maybe temper that and try and encourage back the democratic european north american countries one of the ideas that I have seen uh, circulated is having a, a small contingent of countries that all basically rotated every 12 or 16 years. So you've got this uh, roster. I don't know how many cities it's best to have in it, but basically where they have this infrastructure, they keep it up to date, and, and that's it. Do you think that's where we're headed? It could be the way we're headed. It could be that we actually see the Olympics uh, deconstructed into just a series of world events. The The idea of gathering the athletes every four years to compete made a lot of sense when travel was very difficult and where you didn't have week-to-week competitions through, say, the winter or the summer, depending on the sport, where all these athletes, this is just a travel stop along the way. All of those those athletes are now off to the next World Bobsleigh event or to the next World Downhill Ski Cup event. So that didn't exist four years ago. Now this is just a weekly stop. Maybe the the future is not rotating every four years, eight years, 16 years, but maybe just eliminating the Olympics and saying it's kind of outlived its usefulness. I was talking with someone just coincidentally a couple of weeks ago who represents Table Tennis Canada, and he was telling me just about the roster of events they have every year. And I think there were something like six international events, or six world events, not international, six world events. And there were others that were Pan-American events. And, and, and that was a year, and that was not including the Olympics, which for table tennis are every four years. And if you're a, a country that doesn't put a huge amount of money into sports, which Canada doesn't, and you're having athletes that are every two months going to some other far-flung corner of the world for this thing, that is, it, it's amazing it, it's been as long as it has because that is not sustainable. It's not sustainable, but you know what? Now that you've kind of abandoned the idea that the Olympics are an amateur event and that you're now sending it, for all intents and purposes, professionals in almost every discipline, uh, those professionals can now seek out sponsorship deals and uh, ways to kind of help defray the cost. So maybe it's not a sustainable model, but it's certainly a better model than expecting that pure amateurism that kind of initially governed the movement. 
What is the basis of making this investment or making this expenditure? You know you're not going to recoup the cost directly. I also have a hard time believing that tourism is all that uh, important after the fact because, again, I mean, Calgary would get to show itself off in 1988. Uh, Toronto could get to show itself off. You've had Sochi. But I I, I like traveling. I'm never going to go to Sochi. And if I do, it won't be because the Olympics were there. So what is the benefit and what is the mentality behind that? It, It just seems like it's about chest thumping. I completely agree with you. You you nailed it on the head. I I am a lover of travel, too, and I would never travel because, specifically, they hosted the Olympics 40, 50, 80 years ago. Uh, Even if they hosted it 10 years ago, I'm not going to Whistler because they hosted the Olympics. I'm going to Whistler because I want to go to Whistler. Um, the, The status is a strong pull. The ego of the politicians involved, I'm not referring specifically to Mayor Nenshi, but I'm saying that any politician that's going to bid for it has an ego that's going to say, I brought the Olympics to this city, and they want you know, the glory that comes with that. Um, but beyond just the tourism that you were talking about, even during those two weeks that the tourists come, don't forget that a lot of the locals are going to check out. I'm not going to want to be around in Calgary during two weeks when I can't drive around downtown or where everything that I want to go to is closed because uh, they want to shut down operations for two weeks and take a holiday. Or oh, and that I happened can't... with the Pan Am Games in Toronto. Everyone I know was like, I, I could not be further away from the city. Completely. Can you imagine, you know, the, the Olympics of 2026, if Calgary gets them, is not going to be the Olympics of 1988. The Olympics of 1988 are going to look extremely antiquated once you start factoring in the security aspect, uh, what downtown is going to look like in terms of closed access, businesses that those high rises that didn't exist there before are going to be no-go areas. You're going to have tremendous drops in productivity. The amount of people traveling from very far overseas that are going to want to use this as a jumping board to go to Banff and Lake Louise and Kemp, it's going to be something that's going to make the locals want to just head east and call me in two weeks when it's over. So the net contribution to the Calgary economy is even going to be offset by the fact that businesses are going to shut down and the locals aren't going to be spending because they're taking two weeks out. I was looking at some of the lists earlier of total operating costs for the Olympics, and you look at even just comparing Winter Olympics, you have Vancouver spending, I think it was like $1.7 billion or something on this, like not a, not a huge, or uh, yeah, $1.7 billion, not a huge amount, and then you look at Sochi, and it's $51 billion. And, and like, how do you get such a disparity there on, on what is ostensibly the same event? How about we just call it the Russian factor? <laughs> Um, I think that there's probably a tremendous amount of cost there that we're not going to necessarily the most uh, appropriate above-board events um, or to construction costs that maybe had something else built into it. I I don't think that Russia is a a framework that can be used to analyze the cost of games because I don't think that they were working on like a market economy with proper uh, government oversight. So as a sports economist, I have to ask, is there, is there any upside to, to the economics of sport here? Because I'm not hearing it yet. Look, there's always upside, right? So, you know, the, the marginal sports that got to show themselves off for two weeks are maybe now going to have an easier time trying to secure funding. So, you know, at the very small level, there's going to be benefits. I would probably bet that if the 2026 games go to Calgary, you're going to see NHL players. And so that was a big complaint among a lot of Canadians that, you know, the, the sports where Canada tends to dominate, they didn't dominate in part because, at least in one capacity, they didn't send their best. Um, those types of things then are going to create kind of marginal knock-on benefits. I, I do personally believe that 
we're going to see that if Calgary bids, they will get the games. And if Calgary gets the games, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to see things like the Saddledome issue is going to surface and there's going to be a new home for the Flames. There might even be a new uh, home for the Stamps because McMahon Stadium is also showing its age. And it's on the UFC campus, and I'm not sure how easy the UFC campus is going to be. You're probably going to see an advancement of the green line on the C train um, because you're going to want to create a more efficient public infrastructure. The blue line might finally complete its lap to the airport so that you have direct links from the airport into downtown. So these, these projects are going to be things that might otherwise have not been done. Those are the benefits. But I see that as, in a lot of ways, a drawback, because it also means that the Olympics give politicians and government an excuse to railroad through things that, for one reason or another, weren't proceeding. I completely agree, and that's why I've always spoken out on Calgary going for the Olympics. I've been trying to plead that, please, somebody uh, stop this train from uh, speeding out of control here. Uh, You have a chance to stop this. Um, those projects, if they're economically meritorious, they should go ahead on their own right, regardless of whether you host the Olympics or not. The issue is that they're going to get tied into the Olympics. It's almost like when you start with the, the home renovations, and while you have a particular project in mind, while the contractor is there, you add this, you, you know, why don't we fix this, and let's do this, and next thing you know, uh, you've done a complete overhaul of things, and you're ending up with a bill that you never really asked for in the first place, but I think that's what Calgary is going to end up with. Four point six billion now can very easily turn into seven billion uh, in six months, in a year, in in ten years. And once you get the guarantees from the federal government, the provincial government, uh, it's going to be the municipal taxpayer that's on the line for the difference. Professor Moshe Lander, Concordia University sports economist, joining me on the line. Professor, thanks very much for your time today. Anytime. All right. All the best to you, sir. I'm going to talk about this and take your calls on the other side of the break. 403-974-8255. 403-974-8255. When Mayor Nenshi says evidence should trump emotion, I take that to say that the evidence is completely and unequivocally against this. So why is this bid exploration committee still existing? We'll talk about that up next and take your calls and texts. 403-974-8255. Andrew Lutton in for Rob on Afternoons, 770 CHQR. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk, 770 Calgary.